0: There are two scripture lessons this morning. The first comes from the Hebrew scriptures in Isaiah chapter 58. Listen now for God's word. Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover them, and not to hide yourself from your own kin? Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. The second reading comes from the gospel according to Luke in chapter 22 and shows an example of Jesus facing someone who responds in violence. While Jesus was still speaking, suddenly a crowd came, and the one called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, is it with a kiss that you are betraying the Son of Man? When those who were around him saw what was coming, they asked, Lord, should we strike with the sword? Then one of them struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, No more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple police, and the elders who had come for him, Have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a bandit? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you read the New York Times this past Wednesday, you read, many crime experts define a mass shooting as an event in which four or more people are shot. Last weekend, there were a shocking number of them, at least nine across the US, end quote. The article goes on to say that gun violence in the US and not in other countries has reached its highest point in two decades, a trend which has been rising since the beginnings of COVID. And still it seems as though nothing is being done to deal with this scourge in our society, even in the church. Here's a quote I came across as I was preparing for this sermon and it stopped me in my tracks. It's by one of my favorite theologians, Father Richard Rohr. He says this, Christians are usually well-intentioned, sincere people until you get to any real issues of ego, control, power, money, pleasure, and security. They tend to be pretty much like everybody else. We often give a bogus version of the gospel, some fast food religion without any deep transformation of the self. And the result has been the spiritual disaster of a Christian countries that tend to be as consumer-oriented, proud, warlike, racist, class-conscious, and addictive as everybody else, and even more so, I'm afraid, End quote. Wow, incredibly tough words. But are they true? In response to that scathing assessment, I found myself thinking a lot about that quote this week as I prepared for this sermon, and even defending the the fine Christian communities of which I've been a part over the last 30 years of ordained ministry, those that I've worked in and those I've observed. And after much thought, I came up with, the church is made up of human beings, We try to do what we can to live out our faith. We fail at some things and succeed at others, but if I'm honest about the vast majority of churches that I've seen and heard about across the country, I have to admit that Richard Rohr might be right. There's a chasm between what Jesus taught and how many Christians act and behave. The author of Isaiah's passage this morning, and Jesus called the faithful to be repairers of the breach, that vast chasm between the results of the human condition and God's heavenly vision of a peaceable kingdom. But it seems as though we are still far off the mark. So let's look further at the issue of gun violence. Now, I imagine that there's not one person sitting here this morning, either viewing online or here in the sanctuary, who would say that the state of affairs around this issue in our country, let alone our world, is acceptable. And yet, are we doing anything about it? When I first arrived at Wilton as senior pastor back in 2013, I was surprised to find that the interim pastor who had just departed had not mentioned the massacre at Sandy Hook during worship, the horrendous mass murder of 26 innocents, 26 and seven-year-olds, and six staff and teachers, which had taken place on December 14th, just two weeks before my arrival. I have no idea why. He was a man who'd been an advocate of justice on this issue in the past, Maybe it was just too painful for everyone to address right before Christmas and in a church just 20 minutes away from where that deadly mass tragedy had taken place. And I don't know and I don't blame him, I'm just curious as to what went into that decision. The constant barrage of devastating incidents of gun violence which continue to be with us on a weekly if not daily basis has left many of us, myself included, here in the United States, feeling a bit numb. It's just too much for our human minds to comprehend, to experience the constant state of trauma to innocent people, and even those who aren't so innocent. We don't want to think about when the next one will be. Others of us live in a sort of denial, if you will, that it will never happen here. Perhaps that was, that's what the people of Columbine, Colorado, or Parkland, Florida, even Sandy Hook, Connecticut, as well as members of Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, or the Emmanuel African-American Method, Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina, all thought as well. And so we let the breach between what has happened and what might be sit there untouched. So I'd like all of us just to take a moment just to breathe. We're not going to get anywhere in this sermon if we take this only in from an intellectual vantage point. So I'd like for us all to drop down a little bit deeper and to feel this in our bodies. So breathe. The Presbyterian Church, of which I'm a part, has been studying the issue of gun violence for over 40 years, as have other mainline denominations such as the United Church of Christ. In its theological study back in 2010, Gun Violence, Gospel Values, Mobilizing in Response to God's Call, the authors state the frustrations of their study group. They say this, After these 30 years, we see the same patterns continuing unabated, a culture that accommodates and even cultivates violence and fear, the proliferation of assault weapons that go beyond the legitimate needs of hunters and gun collectors, the alarming number of preventable gun-related deaths of victims of homicide, suicide, and accident, and the increasing incidence of child-related gun violence. Now you may be sitting there thinking, this doesn't affect me. And so I'm not going to focus my time and energy on it. It's all too much. Peter Murchison, our guest from last week's video and audio podcast, never thought he'd be where he is today as someone working to repair the breach. That is until the horrible day back in December of 2012 when his young nephew, Daniel, was killed in his school classroom in Sandy Hook. Peter's life now is about bringing awareness and education to others about the need to repair what has been broken in our society, to advocate against gun violence at all levels of society. And as a Quaker, it's what his faith requires of him. If you haven't had a chance to actually view the video of that podcast because they're pictures, I invite you to do so. It was broadcast last week. Jeremiah 31, 15 says, Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Again, let's stop and breathe. Maybe that is the way to action on this issue, to look at the effects of trauma on this generation of children and to feel moved to the point of compassion. Maybe that will prompt us to change and to step into action. And that's really the theme of John Woodrow Cox's book, Children Under Fire, which we'll be discussing on this March uh, 30th, Wednesday at noon and 5 p.m. on Zoom. He's an investigative reporter with the Washington Post, and his book chronicles the lives of several children over a period of years who experienced gun violence firsthand and the devastating effects that it has had in their lives and their family lives for years unimaginable trauma for them, their siblings, their parents, their teachers, their friends, and their circles of influence. He tells the remarkable story of the unlikely friendship between a little white girl from South Carolina and a little black boy from Washington, D.C., who both lost people that they loved to gun violence, one at school and the other after hours in the neighborhood. They read about each other from Cox's reporting, and then they became pen pals and then phone pals over the miles. As they shared their experiences together, their compassion and their understanding and love for one another grew. They helped prepare the breach. Now let me be clear that what I'm saying, none of this is original. And quite honestly, I've had to wade through my own feelings of numbness over this issue to be able to even preach about this topic on this day. I've been affected by the culture, too. But I know that doing nothing is not the answer if we want things to be different. It's important to say, too, that the call to movement against the scourge of gun violence is held in tandem with our call with the call from our Ukrainian brothers and sisters who have taken up arms to protect themselves and their country. These are two entirely different subjects. And while we long for peace on our streets here in the US, we long for a day for peace in the Ukraine and Russia without bloodshed. But in this issue of gun violence in our country, in the words of the Presbyterian study writers, they say, We've come to accept what is unacceptable to our Creator. We, like Rachel, should be inconsolable, yet we find ourselves numbed and passively tolerating higher levels of violence in our communities, in our television and movies, video games, and in our streets. Where is our grief at the loss of life and the loss of conscience? How have we gotten to this point of passive acceptance of gun violence? Ours must not be a grief that immobilizes us or is expressed only in sympathy to victims. Ours must be instead a godly grief that calls us to transformation. As Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, Now I rejoice, not because that you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance. For you felt a godly grief. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation and brings no regret, but worldly grief produces death. Let's breathe again. Perhaps you know that definition of insanity that's been talked about for years. That's you keep doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. We need a holy answer, a holy sense of courage and energy to face this scourge of violence, to change us even if we don't feel its impending doom at our doorsteps. We need to experience the calling to be repairers of the breach and restorers of the streets where we live. What will we do? How will we act to prevent yet another tragedy? A few of us from our congregation gathered in Stanford this past Tuesday night for a march for peace and an end to the war in Ukraine. One of the speakers said, if each one of us does just a little bit, then our efforts together will make a difference. Each of us doing something. Maybe it's writing a politician to urge for funding. Maybe it's writing an op-ed. Maybe it's talking to friends. Maybe it's coming to the book discussion this week. Maybe it's listening and watching last week's podcast. Maybe it's examining your own thoughts and biases. Maybe it's donating to the local Connecticut Against Gun Violence chapter. These are just a few steps to help repair the breach. May God grant us the wisdom to discern our way forward. Hallelujah. Amen.